Hi, everyone. Welcome to the next Wonder Podcast. This is Libby Kelly. Given what is happening in the nation right now, I am excited to bring you the voices of three of my friends of color. And I'm going to keep my introduction very short and get started with them. Our first guest is Kathy Denning. She has been a teacher at Summit School here in Winston-Salem for 22 years. And to know her is to love her. She is a ray of sunshine in the lives of so many. And you know, I'm used to seeing her so happy and smiling and she just laughs all the time. And it's really wonderful to see her just get so real here. And she gets really real. So here we go, Kathy Denning. Okay, Kathy, well, I'm so happy. Thank you so much for for joining me today. Thanks, Libby. I just wanted to to start right off with your your thoughts and feelings that, that you have experienced and maybe that your family is experiencing during these times and in the wake of, of George Floyd's death and, and all that, that we are all witnessing that's happening across the country? You know, I think what can best capture how I'm feeling right now is when I listen to um, Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis in New York, when she said, I'm feeling in between. And I said, that really sums up how I'm feeling because there, and over the last few months and I'm feeling in between in between hope and despair. Um, that's and it fluctuates depending on what's happening. Of course, there's so many things that are happening. When I look at the COVID and and its disproportionate impact on African Americans, Hispanics, and Indigenous people. Um, that is like it that puts a spotlight on for me systemic racism in America when you look at that racism itself is a public health crisis mm-hmm. in, in America. So that those kind of things just um, sort of where I swing, you know, some days it's you, one day the pendulum goes one way and then another day could be something else. But when I think about our climate and our country overall, you know, yeah, yes, I'm bothered by, I've been bothered by the amount of hate we have, the increasing amount of hate. But what bothers me more, Libby, is the amount of piercing silence. Mm. And it's the silence that's made me wonder, worry, if our country is spiraling out of orbit, out of the mm. orbit needed to sustain a healthy democracy. Gosh, the piercing silence. That's pretty powerful. I read a a great article. I think it was something called the deafening white silence on social media and why not saying anything is saying a lot. And, um, you know, I, I just wish that every white person could look inward right now and and realize and recognize if they are being silent and realize they have a voice and that you know the 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 brave and courageous and helpful thing to do is to use it you know that the optimistic side of me is 
is excited that there are a lot of people doing this hard work and talking about these things. And I'd love to know, do you feel at all hopeful that the spotlight is shining on this? I, I do. I mean, actually, you know, that's the one thing. And I think as a black woman, uh, you know, the struggle has been always been part of our life, right? It's always there. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, but no matter what happens, we endure, we endure mm-hmm. and we continue on. We, we know that we're, we have cared for and carry so many people, you know? So, so that is something that we know that's our struggle. It's like other people before mm-hmm. us have given us that baton that we have to keep, we have to stay in the race. You know, we have mm-hmm. to keep our eye on the prize. That's, that is what's important. And then what I'm hopeful because right now I'm more hopeful because when you hear the term black lives matter, it's like America has an awakening. Like they have a new dictionary to understand what that means. But before it was, to me, it was like, I was incredulous to why to say black lives matter. Was it, was a topic for dispute? You know, like you just, and it's just, uh, to say it, we're not, it's, you're not looking for an argument. It's an aspirational challenge yes. to America to realize that you're, you're being here. What you just want as, a, as an African, as a black person, is just you want to be able to traverse this, this earth and be seen as a whole human being. Mm. Not a beast of burden or anything else. A whole human being. It's because it's been like in America, we we say, well, we abolished slavery. Yes. But we substituted that with a different caste system. And you know, as a black person, you're at the bottom of America's caste system. But yes, this feels different because you see other people uh, involved. It's far more diverse. It's more involved. People mm-hmm. are more involved in cities where there are, are limited numbers of people of color in that population. That's the part that's heartening. Mm-hmm. But I will say this, I don't mm-hmm. fool myself into believing that, you know, we have a, these things, the way the pendulum swings, you have a window of opportunity. And it's up to us as a collective to, to seize this window of opportunity there's always something else that's going on, as we see now. These are these things happen in the layer after layer. You're like, wow, we're all bracing for what's next, right? Yes, we sure are. 2020, <laughs> please stop, so please. <laughs> Give us a break. break. So we're waiting to see what comes next. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's how that's what I look at it right now. What? emotional responses are are you seeing in in the rest of your family is it is it similar i mean i think it's similar you you have i mean because it's it's similar but it's of course it's also different because it's really um you know to be to be black to be african-american the views are so you know there's no one three you know no one voice but um mm-hmm. but you know but i think I think if everybody in my family understands is to need the need to 
to be there, mm-hmm. to me, need for change. Yeah. Everybody you know, feels it, everybody wants it, and everybody wants to be mm-hmm. hopeful, but there's some suspicion that goes mm-hmm. along with it. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Wow. It's just, yes. it's, it's just that because you know, you know, just so many things happen and you look at your life and you say, wow, is does this mean? I ask myself, does this mean when my husband goes out walking? 5.30, 6 o'clock every morning, that someone's dog will not be accidentally let their dog out the front door. You know, um, does that, will that change, wow. you know? Yeah. Um, those kind of things, will will, will, wow. will that be any different? You know, um, um, you think about those kind of things. Of course you do. I mean, of course you do. Stories are or one thing that's been kind of consistent that I keep bringing up in these in these interviews. And I find them to be one of the most impactful things. And I'd love to hear a personal story that if you would mind sharing of prejudice, racism, or whatnot, um, that either you have experienced or maybe a family member has experienced. Okay. I think about, you know, at, at different points in our life, your own personal timeline, there's things that help you understand to shape your understanding of the world and i and i think about my being a fourth grader and as a fourth grader i grew up in pennsylvania and so outside of pittsburgh so one of the things that i that sticks with me is um one of the elementary schools that i attended i've attended several um one of them we the the school was desegregated had been desegregated for not a quiet number of years but it was in the it was in the white neighborhood, and the black students lived literally on the other side of the tracks, and we had a, a farther distance to walk. We had to walk to school. Everybody walked to school. So, but it seems like my, you know to be to, black students and like you're walking, you know, to proverbial, you know, like ten miles uphill both ways to get to school, <laughs> but, you know, to get to school. Yeah. And um, so what we would walk and in in, we would walk to school and we would meet up actually with the white children at a certain block. We would meet up, we would meet and finish that last block to school because then they only had about a block to walk. Um, so, so we would we'd meet there. And one day we, um, we were, we actually, we had to go home for lunch at that time. So, we met up, we met up, and then one day this man in a car drove by the group of us. He drove by slowly. It was alarming. It was, it was kind of scary. We didn't know what to make of it. But we, we kept on, but he drove off. The next morning, when we all met up again to walk the last block to school, the girl, um, I remember her name was Sarita. <laughs> Funny, I don't remember most anybody else's name I went to school with. Um, but uh, um, Sarita looked at us and said, that was my dad. And he said, I can't walk to school with insert N-word. Oh, my gosh. And someone, oh, someone oh. hit her. And, but that was, but Good for them, but it was still stunning because mm. 
she seemed like a nice person, you know, the family, but, you know, but, mm-hmm. but after, mm-hmm. but it also points to the fact how, how adults poison the minds of children. Yeah. That's what uh, it's going yes. to do. Yes. Um, but, yeah. but after yes. that, I don't ever recall seeing her at this school again. Oh, wow. You know, so, yeah. uh-huh. so those kind of things it, that, that's, you know, important to me, it reminds me and it, and it shapes what I, it tells me my interactions with children every day is mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm. And it's the individual mm-hmm. relationships that we form mm-hmm. that, that are so important because I know so many children that I am in contact with, they don't, they don't know anybody like me. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you hope that these children see through me, my light. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that has a positive impact on their relationships. They build with other people of color. Well, anybody that, that knows you, Kathy, anybody in the summit community knows that, you do have this light that that everyone feels and this heart that is just just gigantic and you know i do i see you in this community and though we are trying hard and would love more diversity it's still a predominantly white community is there a reason that you put yourself in that community as as an as 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 you're saying kind of a as an example, no, the the reason I'm there was because I sent my own children to school. When I moved to to the area, I sent my own children to school there, and I wasn't intention originally intended. That's not where I was looking to to you know to work. But it just it's just you know how life just happens. You know where you yeah. where you just uh-huh. wind up. You never expect to wind up somewhere, but that's where you are, yeah. and that's where you stay. Um, what's where I've stayed, but also know how the times when, when my children were young and I, you know, it's been a great school, but it was a whole different feeling for me then as a young parent, uh-huh. you know, entering an independent school, because at the time, you know, you, you, you're trying to figure out how independent schools work, you know, how schools work when, uh-huh. you know, there were so many, you know, it seems you know, the organization that did certain parents committees and they were, they were dominated by people who were friends or knew each other and had this connection. And you're trying to find your way, you know, you're trying yeah. to find your way and thereby find a way for your children. And, and so, mm-hmm. so that, you know, that's, a, you know, the reason that I stay and also that, that opportunities happen and I wind up, you know, staying there, but, but also, you know, I feel that for children of color can benefit from the experience that independent schools offer, right? Oh, sure. But they also yeah. need to see themselves. They need to see mm-hmm. themselves in the classroom. They need to see themselves teaching them as well, you know. Mm-hmm. But so mm-hmm. do other children. So do white children. You know, mm-hmm. if their own experience with African-Americans or um, Hispanic people are ca- as caretakers. That's a whole different dimension how they see people, right? Mm-hmm. So having that, absolutely, having that experience in the classroom is 
I think it's it's in it's invaluable. It's 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 needed. That I think that uh, people of color need to be in all walks of life, all all areas, all kind of organizations. Your voice, our voices are needed. So, so my goal is 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 uh, is to say to, to work on the three feet around me in my whole life, whether school or anything else, is that three feet around me because you can look at the world and its problems mm-hmm. and it, it seems so big, so. Um, beyond, and it can be paralyzing. But if you know that you can truly affect that three feet around you, you know, it's more than a cliche. It's really, it's true. I, I believe it, that that's where I can have an impact. It's a beautiful thing to see, in particular, the lead teachers at Summit, and you are among the best of the best, have that kind of impact. And, and you know, what a wonderful human to to be close to so many children and touch the lives of so many children. It's interesting to to think about it that way. The three feet around you. Oh, I think we all need to think that way. Right, right. And you know, you want to, you want to, you know, you want a better, you want a better world. Because I remember when I when we first moved to our neighborhood. We lived in my neighborhood over twenty years, over twenty years now, and and three weeks. We live in again a predominantly white neighborhood. With the third week of living in our neighborhood, someone left a KKK newspaper on our. our no, they mat, did not. On our oh my mat. God. So, you know, but. Um, I mean, what what, what year was, was that? Nineteen ninety seven. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. but yeah. Um, but but Have, still. <sighs> God, that doesn't deter what you want to do. You know what I mean? That that's somebody, you know, you had an inkling where it was coming from, but um, but that shouldn't, you know, that didn't deter. I am completely ill-equipped with words to respond to something like this. I'm glad it didn't deter you. I um, you know, it's just I hear stories like this and. It's, it's 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 powerful to hear stories from from people like you telling these stories. It's not some intangible, faceless name in an article, but it's Kathy Denning. You know, I, I won't forget this. A consistent theme on the on the um, topic of children. I continue to hear African American women, in particular, describe is this fear of raising their children. I think about the the complexity of raising children and all the hopes and dreams and concerns I have for my own children, but fear for their safety um, is 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 not one of them, not not nearly like what that that is for the African American community. Is that something that that you've experienced or seen others experience? Yeah. Uh, yes, it's it's something you 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 definitely like. I was saying earlier about uh, when my husband goes out to walk in the morning, you know, I fear for him, you know, mm. and and as a as a as an African American parent, you feel for your children. And in this in this world, and because it doesn't matter, I don't care how much money you make. Um, where you, what neighborhood you live in, uh, it, it doesn't, it doesn't give us that immunity. 
from from mm-hmm. racism. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it just shows up differently mm-hmm. sometimes. To be African American, it's like you're wearing these invisible handcuffs. That some days those handcuffs are looser than others, but they're still there. It doesn't matter if, if I went attended an Ivy League school. It doesn't. That doesn't matter. You know, because when 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 I'm wherever I am, you're you you get these reminders. You know that mm-hmm. mm, that people are wary of you. You know, mm-hmm. people are fearful of you, or or some people just don't like you, and they don't even haven't met you. They don't even know you. You know mm-hmm. that those kind of um, experiences that you yeah you do wonder you you worry, and the climate that we live in you you worry because you know my children have more likely to, ex- you know, they're, <laughs> they're going to, ex- you know, express themselves about what they, you know, what they feel about the injustice. They're not going to tiptoe through it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you, you, so you get, you worry, you worry not only for my own children, you worry for other children as well. You know, mm-hmm. for, I worry for every black child because mm-hmm. it, these things have, have long-term effects you know it goes back and you wonder you know it goes get cycle it, that circle goes back to why it's a public health crisis mm-hmm. you know right yeah you know, it just yeah. it just whether you people live in neighborhoods that are you know environmental pollution that caused the things or you know poor schools or you know just a lot of you know, the, the economics, you know, just this, you look at this current situation, you say, looking for essential workers, right? Who are those people that are yes. essential workers, you know, who were packed in, you were, they have not traveled abroad to pick up anything. Well, right. In Europe, right. You know, they yeah. weren't coming from Europe or Asia or wherever. Um, uh, but these essential workers feel the impact bear the impact of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Lives are lost. They sure do. Mm-hmm. We lived in more cramped housing, mm-hmm. more close quarters. And, you know, and you, mm-hmm. who has access to care and who doesn't have access to care? You know, mm-hmm. all those factors, you know, they bring us where we are today. But I think, but I, but I, but I'm, I'm hopeful again that we can seize this moment. Will everything change? No. But, but, but we can make, we can make if, if we do not allow this as a collective, those people who are out there walking and talking about change, and corporations that have these, you know, beautiful letters that they're sending out, and, and. Um, if we still stay as a collective and not get derailed, that's going to be key. Because mm-hmm. our country is such right now that people can be pushed back into silence. Mm-hmm. If that piercing silence is louder than the voices that we hear asking for change, mm-hmm. we're in trouble. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. 
Have you ever experienced, um, I would say, prejudice in the classroom, let's say, from, from parents? Um, <laughs> no, not, not, no, I would say it's one of those things, you know, life is full of, for, for, is full of microaggressions, right? So you think, so you, like when, it was been years ago when some child of a progressive parent um, said he thought I was going to be the spanking teacher, right? Right, right. You know, where did you get that? You know, so you're like, where did you get that? Um, <laughs> so, you know, or, or during the, um, the election for um, Barack Obama during that season, those years around Barack when Barack Obama was president, and you know, you hear some child would say, I heard some some child say, you know, a parent said <laughs> that he's going, you know, going to uh, take my Halloween candy or something like that, you know, so or you know, so you think. <laughs> Or you know, so so sometimes the message, you know, face to face, think people are not going to say that, right? Mm-hmm. No, it's mm-hmm. not. Um, yeah. So, but sometimes the messages people give their children, mm-hmm. that, and you hear those. I'm sure it, you those do. Are the things. Yeah, yeah. But the great thing—that's why it's important to have, you know, faculty and teachers of colors, and and that's just not independent schools, that's from public schools as well. You know, you need, you need more, you need mm-hmm. more, you know, you need more faces in all, on all levels of education, independent, pu- public yes. charter, all those, you need more, you need more people of color. Uh, mm-hmm. That when, as a, you know, being in a, as an educator, you can interrupt those kind of things. You know, you can reach children and, you know, you know, to help them sort of move past that kind of thing, so they realize what's what's Absolutely. what's fact and what's fiction. You know, change my change minds, change right. attitudes based on a a real and true significant relationship in their life. You know that that of their that the teacher they see probably more than their their parents. Right. You know, some of the some of some of the days yeah, of the week exactly. anyway. That's right. You know, we're, um, <laughs> Maybe not post COVID, unfortunately. You know, but even you know, even COVID, I would say, is because of the strength of your relationships that you formed beforehand made this all doable for us. You know, in mm-hmm. the in whether through distance learning, that has an impact because this child, these the children in my class. Yes. As they've had the time to form a relationship with me, you know, and because of that, that helped carry them through this. It absolutely does. That's an important factor there. So I, when I, when I, so it saddens me when I hear about, you know, all these students who are, who have not been able to connect for a vast number of reasons, whether it's access to the devices or needed, you know, Wi-Fi and, or just, you know, just some schools. So you hear some schools, shut down as soon as distance learning, you know? So the children who were, yeah. then again, it goes back to the children who are going to be most affected, negatively impacted by this. You know, it just, it goes mm. back into that. So yes. again. Here we go it's again. just another yeah. layer. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, Kathy, thank you for for sharing all of these thoughts and feelings. I um, is there anything else that that you'd like to share? Any other thoughts you have for me today? I would say just for 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 anyone you know um, that you have to get comfortable without having you have to get comfortable with having uncomfortable conversations. You know, you can't, you can't expect, you know, the, don't look for that, you know, that African-American person to make you feel comfortable. You know, mm-hmm. you have to, as I tell people, you have to do your homework. The syllables, the syllabus is out there to get anti-racist resources. You know, dig into the syllabus, do your homework, then come to class prepared. I mean, Spoken like a true teacher that you are there, huh? But you have to, and have conversations with people, you know, mm-hmm. that's the only way because you can't look for someone and say, well, how can I help? What can I do? I mean, just, just mm-hmm. start. Just start somewhere. Start somewhere. Start, start wherever, wherever you are. You, are. Start, you know, and people are willing to extend you grace if you're trying, mm-hmm. you know, if, mm-hmm. you're, if you're trying. It's just like when yes. Americans travel abroad and and you know, and you, yeah. if you try to speak a language, God, they're so you know, nice, much be, nicer to you. Nicer, but if you you know, if you try, if people are more willing to help mm-hmm. you give and show grace. Oh, thank you for your your strength and courage and bravery and being so open. And I, I you know, it, it's 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 conversations like these that I I want those to be happening all over the country, all the time, um, all the time, you know, not just now, not just in this moment, not just in these weeks, but, you know, going forward. So thank you so much for being here. For inviting me. Usually I do a bit of a summary of what my guests had to say, but I really want their words here to stand alone. I do want to highlight Kathy's worry of this potential white silence And uh, I think that's just really important for all of us to hear. Our next guest is Dr. Pam Oliver. Pam is an executive vice president at Novant Health and president of Novant Health Physician Network. She has been an OBGYN in Winston-Salem for nearly two decades and has had multiple leadership roles. She has been incredibly busy recently as she has been overseeing the response to the COVID pandemic and leading patient care for over 600 clinics within the Navant Health System. Not to mention she is a kind and compassionate individual that I am just lucky enough to know. So here we go with Pam. Well, Pam, I'm so happy to have you. Thank you so much for joining us today. I can't tell you how much I appreciate your your being with me today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited about being in conversation, honestly. Wonderful. I'm going to, I'm going to start just uh, initially with your thoughts and feelings on these, the recent events and current state of the nation in, in the wake of George Floyd's death. And we'd just love to hear kind of how you're feeling through all of this. I, I think, you know, it's obviously very troubling. Um, and, it's just sad. I feel that that's what I felt this past couple of weeks. Um, 
you know, candidly, stories of whether it's black men or women or injustice, we we see it happen. And, um, you know, going back to just the amount of attention that now it gets and brings to the forefront, which, you know, really shines a light on it, maybe more than what was happening a decade ago before social media and 24 hour news cycles as much. Um, but it's just, it, I'm, this one seems, this past two weeks feel different to me, you know? Um, I was telling my friends, I don't know if it's because I have twins, a boy, girl twins who soon will be driving. And it's Mm. the idea that, you know, the what ifs, you know, um, that just because I feel that we've been successful in life, that doesn't necessarily protect my children from the reality. Um, And, um, you know, it's just to me where we are as a nation and in the world really is troubling because I feel like the polarizing thoughts, um, the extremism is driving people um, apart. And I very much believe in the fact that we can all succeed. You know, we can all do things together and that we need to look out for each other. And so I would just say sad, incredibly sad this last few weeks. Yes. How have you been talking and you're then, your your twins are 15 and then you have an 11 year yeah. old mm-hmm. is that right 20, yeah. 15 and 11 how how have you been talking to them about what you're seeing and i know that obviously the 15 year olds are are older how are you talking to kind of both ages about about what's happening right now so my daughter through social media has stayed on top of it and mm-hmm. so she's been a lot more aware, you know, she's been seeing things. And so it's easier to have those conversations with her. My son um, can get lost in his video games and miss things that are going on. But just this past week, um, we had an opportunity. We sat down as a family, my husband and all the children, um, because my oldest son sent us a Black Lives Matter screenshot from the video game. And he was impressed that every screen he went to, there was a statement, Black Lives Mm. Matter. And so we started the conversation there and made sure that they understood what had happened. And I'll tell you what was difficult about it is there's this innocence of childhood Mm. that I feel gets lost when you have to bring up just a heavy topic like that. Like, I don't want my 11-year-old to not think that police officers are good. I don't want him to be scared. I don't want him to, you know, I want him to just be free to live life. Mm. And so that was the hard part is how to, how to make sure he, he needs to know he needs to be aware, but yet not put, not steal his childhood from him. And so, you know, we, we had the conversation and and I would say with the um, 14 year olds, it was, it was good. I mean, it, it allowed them to express some things even about when they've been the only one in the room when in school learning about topics such as uh, slavery or redlining, and they feel like all the eyes are piercing and mm. they would rather avoid the subject. They would rather just stop it, you know, sure. you know, because they don't want to have to answer all the questions or make feel like people are feeling sorry for them or they have to answer questions for their friends. Um, so we, my husband and I really talked about some of the things that we need to prepare them to have conversations about. Um, my son said that some of his friends had asked him because they hear the N word and rap videos mm-hmm. and they just really didn't want to know more about why is it bad? Like, you know, who can say it? And he wasn't, he's not prepared for that conversation. Gosh. And so there's a lot of things that I think it has brought to light that we as, you know, like parents have to, 
be cognizant of. Um, and I don't remember at what point in life, you know, I had to have these types of conversations with my family. I think it was always in the background growing up in rural Eastern North Carolina. But, um, you know, I think day by day, we just slowly introduce new topics and help them understand what's happening. Mm. It has been so hard to to explain, even just to my own white children, exactly what's happening. Um it's it's been good to talk about it though you know it's been i'm 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 glad we're i'm glad we're talking about it it's it's been on our minds all the time one of our our evenings when we had we pre covid when we could actually get together um in the fall of 2017 our wonder women group had a diversity and inclusion evening just to kind of for the listeners we got together in small groups and that night we uh heard personal stories of prejudice um, and various experiences of these women of, of color. Um, one of the senior physicians, African-American female physician um, in our community, told a story um, that it was essentially that she is followed around in several boutique stores, you know, has been followed around in several boutique stores over the course of her, you know, adult life, like recently. And I, I don't, remember a lot of things about that night, but that story in particular, and there are a few others, are, are things that I just, I, I'll never, I'll never forget that. And, you know, so what I wanted to do, have you just share um, on this, you know, in this interview would be a, just a, a personal story. I think it makes it so real um, of things you have experienced or your children or your husband. Um and kind of just every in, in everyday life, it could be from any time. So I would say, you know, th- there's this dynamic. I'm a, you know, your listeners can't see me, but I'm a light skinned black woman. Um, and with that in of itself, there are some things that I may not experience that others may, because mm-hmm. uh, often people, they don't even know. They don't know what I am. They don't know, you know, what race I am necessarily. And so, you know, I don't, there is always this sense of, could this be, you know, could this be happening when it comes to stories like that of being in stores? But I will say I'm blessed to not have had, you know, these encounters with the police or, you know, Mm -hmm. where I felt that people were questioning me. I would say that more so it's this constant awareness that you are different, right? Or the only in the, in a room. Um, and, you know, that can be heavy. That's a lot of stress to kind of figure out how to deal with, with those types of things. Um, I thought about that question earlier and I go back to when I was a, um, in elementary school, I lived in Eastern part of, uh, or the Northern part of Nash County, which is in Eastern North Carolina. And, um, this was, you know, 1979 was when I probably entered kindergarten. So it wasn't in the midst of the civil rights movement or any of that. We had, you know, integrated schools. But the elementary school that I went to was actually an entire, it was completely African-American, except one Caucasian um, girl who was in our school. And the reason, it wasn't that we didn't have neighbors that were Caucasian. It was that they self-segregated by driving their kids to um, uh, a school that was 15, 20 miles away that was um, a predominantly white school. So basically there was this intentional segregation of the schools at that point. And um, I never thought I was different. You know, I looked like, you know, we had a diverse group of African-Americans. I never thought I looked any different. And in fourth grade, we moved into the city of Rocky Mount and I ended up at an elementary school that was 
almost all white. I mean, there are very, very few black kids at the school. And the first week was hard because I just, I had, you know, um, I would sit in the cafeteria and I remember people would just say, are you black or white? Are you black or white? Like, what are you? Are you black or white? And I just remember at some point, like just losing it on one of my, became a good friend um, because I was like, why does it matter? Like, why does it matter? And I think after that, I became just very keenly aware that I was different, you know? And my mother was sensitive to that. And, and um, you know, there were times where, you know, my friends would have activities and it wasn't because necessarily they all were part, you know, belong to the country club, whatever. But even like the um, the cotillion or the dance prep that is done here, same type of thing. And I remember one day my friends talking about like, you know, the last couple of weeks, you know, ballroom dance and all these things. And I was thinking, I don't know anything. What is this about? Well, I was the only one in the class who was not invited to this. And it was because it was at the country club and it was, you know, it was a very exclusive type of thing. And I think that was the first time I had a very diverse group of friends. And I thought up until that point, I thought that, you know, it didn't matter. Right. Right. Race didn't matter. Right. Did I miss anything by not going to ballroom dance? Maybe not. But I think it was that you know, a uh, little kick in the teeth that, wow, it really does matter. Right. And message, things, yeah. things aren't equal. And, um, you know, so I just, you know, through that, through life, I think I take through it that, you know, I know that I'm different and there's a little weight of trying to make sure that I don't let that impede my relationships. I have a diverse group of friends now. I'm very trusting of people in general, um, but constantly have to know that just society yeah, it um, makes me keenly aware that things aren't the same for everyone. Absolutely. I mean, they certainly aren't. For you as a physician, I have a, a, a close you know, friend who is a woman of color who has been, who has really encountered a few stories of, of issues of patients that have recently, uh, one refused, one used the N-word and refused to said he would rather leave than have um, a, a, a black or a N-word woman take care of him. And he left the department. And, you know, I, that's another one of those stories that after she told me that, I, you know, it, it, it's good to hear because, you know, you, you think that that, that that kind of thing doesn't happen anymore. That's it right. doesn't, you just think it, for somebody like me, I think that doesn't happen anymore. No, no way. You know, it is so, it is so difficult. I had to, in one of my leadership roles, I had to try to navigate a situation like that, where we had an African-American female physician recruited into a rural clinic. And um, I wouldn't say there was a lot of diversity at the hospital or, you know, in the community. And um, she felt that. And, and I felt that unfortunately Everything was stacked against her. Automatically, she was the angry black woman, mm-hmm. not the person who, when you looked at it, I said, that would never have happened to one of my colleagues, my non-minority you know, minority colleagues anywhere. I just can't imagine that. I can't imagine the nurses would, you know, disrespect you in that way or scream at you or, you know, it, and it was just, but having to prove it, I mean, there was the, the benefit of the doubt was honestly on everyone else's side, every single encounter. And it was almost as if she had to prove herself. And she had story after story of, 
you know, walking in the patient's rooms and them saying, really, you know, um, who else is here? Who else can take care of me? And it broke my heart because it's the same thing, you know, as you said, you just, you, we really want to think that that can't be happening. And, you know, this was 2018. Exactly. Um, But as much as things have changed, some things haven't, or some people haven't. And um, maybe it's better that it's overt instead of covert, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. But at the same time, everyone has to put up that armor and figure out how do you move forward? And as physicians, you know, we have to take care of patients regardless. And so, um, yes, I agree with you. It's sad. It is very sad to think about how people um, can show their colors in that situation. You know, I've I've heard, Several women, and this has been from this Wonder Women group, uh, have several women of color have said they feel this pressure that they have to kind of bring their A plus plus game every time. That they feel like they're constantly being, I wouldn't say not necessarily judged, but they are somebody is waiting for them to make a misstep. Right. Yeah. So you have to prove yourself. Right. And I think I I was at that Wonder Women um, event. I remember exactly, you know, some of those conversations you're talking about and how impactful they were. And I think what I can't remember if it was highlighted there, but it's been highlighted over and over again is that. So, you know, some of that as a woman, I think that we felt that I think about my attendings who had to work super long hours, stay away from the families because they were the first and they had to say that to prove that they were not um, any less committed or serious than the men. Right. And um, I think that it was insightful to me that when we talked about it, um, Caucasian women identify as women first, right? And mm-hmm. Caucasian is like just in the background. And African American women think of race versus I'm an African American, and then there's the women. So it's like a double thing, right? Mm-hmm. So you feel that you have to prove yourself as a woman, but then you also have to prove yourself as a person of color. There's an incredible weight. And and as a um OBGYN, I'll tell you where this shows up in the literature is, and what we see is there is um there's this discrepancy in infant mortality and in, in preterm labor and all these things that we just can't explain because there's, you know, me having a, you know, MD doesn't mean that I'm any less likely than a woman who'd never finished high school to um, have preterm birth. And even though I have access, I'm taking care of myself. And a lot of things that we have realized is that there's this chronic stress. What does it mean to have chronic stress of balancing all of this. There's a weight on you. And um, what does that release in our bodies? And then, you know, it carries through to the next generation. Okay. And so that's why in order for us to really fix some things, we have to fix societal issues in a way that it alleviates some of that chronic stress and allows us to have better health outcomes in the next generation. Mm-hmm. Gosh, can, can you fix all this, please? Can you? No. <laughs> if anybody could do it, you could, Pam. I think, I mean, even when people look at it, that's a, what, what makes me the most proud of um, what's happening with this movement. Now, say, I don't want this to be a moment. People have said this, it can't be a moment, right? Because right. the questions we have to ask are, well, what now, right? So, how it, it's chiseling away little by little. But there, so there's no one solution or people would have, you know, we would have fixed this like 10 years ago. Um, But there are definitely things that we have to do to support and have conversation, you know, to um, build up social 
like programs, education, commit to education and figure out how to economically empower all um, and remove some of those barriers. Um, Otherwise, you know, we're going to be talking about this in like 50 years. Mm -hmm. That's not the legacy I want for my children or grandchildren. And I think my grandmother thinks, you know, she's 98 years old. I think a lot that's changed. And then you look back and you're like, these are the same things that people talked about in the sixties and the seventies. So really how much have we progressed um, in in this period of time is feels defeating at times, but Mm -hmm. we have to have hope. We have to have hope. I love what you said about, you know, having this time not just be, not just be a moment, but, you know, hoping to fix societal issues so that this chronic stress and this weight carried by people of color doesn't have to, you know, affect the the next generation. And I, I guess the focus has to be on police brutality and the treatment of you know, black men in particular, but I don't want that to be the only focus of this time. I, I want it to be bigger about equality and um, kind of the bigger picture as well. And, and I'll say there was a, um, you know, I tell my kids all the time, I said, you know, whether you know it or not, your friends are benefiting just from knowing you, right? There are, when I came to residency in Winston, there were at least a few people in our class who, um, or in our program who, they really never had any type of meaningful relationship with anyone who was non-Caucasian mm-hmm. until they came to Winston-Salem and their residents. And then they are taking care of our indigent population, which can give you all kinds of stereotypical, you know, patients in any given day. And, and I didn't want that to color what they thought of, you know, African-American or Latinos. Right. Mm -hmm. And yet at the same time, that was like their reality. They never had to never had to or chose to engage with anyone outside of um, of their race up until that point. And so I tell them, I was like, you know, just people knowing you and valuing your life and knowing what you know, what you are may help defeat some of the stereotypes, hopefully, Mm -hmm. that otherwise is the only exposure some people have. Mm, I love that. Oh, I love that. Can can you tell me what you find is, I mean, I, I've read a, a, a bit about this. I don't pretend to understand it. You know, the difference that, I guess you don't know what it's like to make, to raise white sons, but, you know, just the difference in raising an African-American son, you know, I, that that's one of those things that I, a colleague of mine had a conversation about, um, a woman of color, her fear and her fear of not letting him out of her sight and her, her child's 11 and not letting him out of her sight, her fear of not, of wanting him to be independent, but, but being scared of his independence. They live um, bordering, I think, a, a affluent white neighborhood and she's worried about his, his safety. And, you know, I hear that over and over and over. And here I am trying to make my kids independent and sort of push them to be independent. I don't have that same, that same fear ever, ever. It is that that's, I think that that is partly what's hitting me as I think about my kids leaving the nest, you know, as my twins are start, we will start to drive soon. And, you know, the idea that the assumption is that either of my boys is dangerous kills me. Right. Because, Mm -hmm. They're the sweetest, like, you know, gentlest souls. And the fact that their presence and just the color of their skin could make someone 
fearful for their lives and make them do something that devalues the lives of my sons and could end dangerous for them. Um, it's just, it's, it's hard, you know, and I think it's a, it's a stress you kind of carry and you can prepare as much as you can, but ultimately, you know, I guess I do the same as my grandparents, and my mom, you have to have faith and trust in God and, mm-hmm. and, you know, pray over it. And, um, you know, that's the, that is the biggest thing is that I just, you know, I want people to, to not associate black men with, with anger, fear, and, um, um, and aggression, you know, and to really get to know others so that you can take away that stereotype and truly move our thought and, and the thinking of, you know, um, uh, Caucasian men or women around what people of color really are or mm-hmm. men are. So, and then, like I said, it's that whole, they have to grow up more quickly. You know, just the fact that they have to think about, when you start driving all the things, the stress of what you have to think about what you do and don't do um, in case you have an engagement or interaction with a police officer, um, then uh, this is just a lot of stress and weight and thought we have to put into how to prepare them even to leave the nest. Gosh, gosh, gosh. Um, thanks for sharing all of this so much. Um, such, um, you know, it's such good. It's so good to talk about it and and really have these conversations. Um, you know, this to bring up this another story um, of a friend who has a an African American male child who she said he has ADHD, and and he always questions and says to her, but 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 you know when she tells him to do something or or she gets he gets in trouble and she's she fears what what's going to happen to him when he says to the police officer, but 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 you because he has bad ADHD, you know, and you think. God, you know, it's something that I, I just, I don't, I don't have to think about, you know, and I, I'm, I'm sorry that anybody has to think about. Yeah, well, it is, uh, I, one of my friends recently shared a story of her, she has a, a son who's just like his build, it, he looks much older than he truly is, and she's African-American, and she lives in a, uh, lived in a neighborhood which was almost completely white, and he was out with a lot of the neighborhood kids, and they were doing ding-dong ditch, so ring the doorbell and then run, and um, she didn't know, when he got home, she asked him, like, what did you, what did you do, and, um, you know, and he, and he told her and she said her heart dropped and she thought oh my gosh and she said and she had to have this conversation I mean this was so he's about my son's age so my youngest son's age 11 so um he was a little bit younger and she had to have this conversation that people might not assume you're innocent or that you're just doing this part of a game your friends can get away with this and you can't and so you know that's the that you know I think her heart dropped then thinking that he could have been perceived as someone who was stealing or he could have gotten a, you know, police could have been called on him. And that's just, that would be traumatic for yes. an 11 year old. Oh, right? yes. so, um, it's those types of, that's why I say the innocence is lost a lot sooner because the preparation that has to happen, unfortunately. Of course, of course. Oh, Pam, thank you. Um, I want to know, is there anything else you felt, feel compelled to want to share um, with this group, with our listeners. I appreciate your being here so much. Look, Libby, I would say I want to thank you for bringing attention and 
stay and engage with the conversation, whether it's just through using your voice and your platform. And so um, I think that's a big part of it. And I think that honestly, if we can have more conversation and people really seek to understand that we can get past this. There's a lot. I mean, it is it is difficult. I don't love to think about slavery, to think about the 60s and everything. But if I don't understand what's happened, then I can't understand why we're here. And I think that it's easier for me probably to dive into it. We don't like, you know, you don't necessarily have to seek that type of information, right? That's part of what privilege is, is that, you know, you can, you know, superficially scratch the surface, but don't necessarily have to seek to understand. And I think that everyone has to be engaged in understanding the big picture and and push through the hurt, push through the pain, how painful it is to watch it, push through any sense of like, you know, guilt. No one's blaming anyone today for what happened a hundred years ago. But I think we all share blame if we can't change things and make it better 50 years from now. Gosh, Pam, these are such powerful words and you have provided so many important messages here for us. Um, Thank you for your courage, your vulnerability, your openness not to mention your professional leadership during these times of COVID as a, a truly respected uh, physician leader in our community. You are a rock star. I'm so glad you've been here. Thank you. Thank you. So when the audio stopped, Pam and I continue to talk and we actually got into the video of George Floyd's death and talked about when he actually called out for his mother. He, he said, Mama. I, I, I actually had to stop at that point. I couldn't watch any further. Um, and, you know, I, I've seen some signs and that have said, you know, that was a call to all mothers. I, I, I can't get that out of my mind. Um, I, um, I, I think that this fear for our children or the children, African-American children, I think this is something that, this is new to me. This is not something that I think about all the time, which makes it so important to hear this. Our final guest is Larry Smith. Larry is a small business owner and entrepreneur. He owns a company called Detailed by Design that he started in 2003. He told me I did not have to plug his business. And I said, that was absolutely ridiculous that he does such an outstanding job. You literally feel like you're driving your car off the lot after he gets his hands on it. I'm not saying that just because I'm interviewing him today. I really mean that. His information is going to be in my show notes. Larry also works nearly full-time with UPS. And I've just learned that he wakes up somewhere around two or three in the morning to go to UPS. And then he starts his car detailing business, which is pretty incredible. So I encourage you to call him up because not only are you going to love his service, but you're going to meet this man with this magnetic personality and you're going to truly want to be friends with him. And you're going about to, you're about to see what I'm talking about. So here we go. Here's Larry. All right, Larry, I'm so happy to have you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yes, I'm good to be here. I'm glad that you're having me. Um, I'd like to start off and talk about your 
hear about your recent, you know, feelings and thoughts related to these recent events and everything that's kind of happening in, in, in the country right now. Um, as far as um, the incident in Minneapolis, I, it, you feel um, a, a lot of emotions. You feel anger. You feel sad that, you know, things like this continue to happen. Um, you feel misunderstood as a, as a race, as a people. And sometimes it is just overwhelming. I mean, it's just a different array of emotions. And it's, um, you have to practice self-control. And not that I particularly want to do anything, but as a people, you you just can't go out here and, and you know, do what's been going on, tearing up properties and et cetera. And, and I understand why it's done, but I don't agree with it. Uh, it's just out of frustration I, and like I said, anger um, and just resentment. And, and when you're continually not heard and continually um, felt like you're taken advantage of or that you're exposable, it, it hurts. And um, and that's why those people have decided to handle their part of dealing with everything that I just said. They're, they're just acting out because uh of feeling unfair in the country that you're supposed to be equal in. Uh, that's pretty much it. Yes. Tell me, um, when you say you feel misunderstood, I'd love for you to talk uh, more about that. Um, you know, uh, black culture, um, is different. Black people are different. Um, we are very, most of us are very, um, I don't want to say rambunctious, but we're, we're exciting. We're sometimes over the top. Uh, we could be sometimes loud when I, when I'm angry or when I'm happy, my, my voice, it, it, it magnifies, it gets louder, good or bad. I could be excited or I could be angry. So, and I just think sometimes my, I know for myself, my tone it is, you know, just my voice and if I use it in the wrong way, it could be intimidating. And you think that I'm about to, you know, maybe do something violent. And, and that's totally not the case. You know what I'm saying? And yes. it, it's just a part of my culture. Um, the, the way uh, black people dress, um, they call that hip hop culture. And it affects our community community because that's what. A lot of times the, the music young African-Americans listen to is a lot of hip hop, rap. I, in particular, listen to all different types of music. The only types of music I don't listen to is um, heavy metal and, and gangster rap. I mean, just because I'm older now, I used to listen to gangster rap. But as you grow, your decisions change and your choices change. And, and that's just something that I think is misunderstood just because you see a young black kid you know, on the street and his pants are down, which they shouldn't be below his butt. He, that doesn't particularly mean that kid is a criminal or, or, you know, he just may not have the uh, home setting. His, his father is probably not in the home. And mm. those things produce the kid that you see on the street or at the mall is because, you know, he, he just need a little bit more guidance and a little bit more structure. Yes. yes. Yeah. Uh. I love hearing you you explain that. You know, it's it's stuff that we 
we don't we don't talk about enough. We yeah. don't talk about this stuff enough. Um, you know, one thing I've heard um, this was from a couple of podcasts that I've listened to on uh, by authors that have written on race and anti racism, and and both of them said that while they are obviously incredibly saddened during these times. Um, and I mean, it's, it's extremely heavy. They did both voice some degree of feeling energized that, and almost hopeful to see this resistance and, and this, and this focus on these incredibly important issues. Do you feel any of that with this? I mean, is there a feeling of, of hope or energy, Uh, positive energy? First of all, I, I believe in God. So I always have hope. Um, I have a tattoo on my right arm and it's, it's Hebrews 11, one. And that's, it says faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen. So um, I'm not, you know, and I still have work to do with that relationship that I have in God, but I believe in God. I believe God has a purpose for all of us. So I, I personally always have hope and um, I hope that other people can, you know, look inside themselves and look toward God for that relationship because he is the reason that we're here. He's the reason he created all of us. So I think it's just, we just need to find the common ground in, uh, in our hearts towards one another and, and, and that'll make it better across the board. But yeah, I, I'm always be hopeful. I mean, the fact that we're here doing this podcast today, it, it gives me more hope. So yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's, well, that's good to hear. So good to hear. Um, you know, anybody that I that I could tell any any time I hear anybody say something about um, they need a, their car to be washed, I <laughs> I just start bragging on you, Larry, and what you've done with your business and your your work ethic and your your positivity is. I mean, it, it seems to kind of radiate from uh, you, you know, and wow, thank for you. those who can't see this man, he's got this huge smile. He always wears it and can feel that from you. And, you know, you have a, um, an incredible way about you. And the most important layer, that's actually pretty important, but also important is what you put into this business and you bring, and you, we talked about this on the phone, how you do, you bring your A game. I, 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 I hate if the answer to this is yes, but you know, is 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 there are there times where you feel people look at you suspiciously, or um, <laughs> that you feel unsafe, you know, or uh, is it? I know you have. He has this big, huge, beautiful white van that says "Detailed by Design," but I'm just questioning, questioning yeah. that. Well, I always didn't have that that beautiful van that I have now, but uh, <laughs> uh, one time I wasn't in Winston, but I go to like King, I go to Moxville and the surrounding towns, Bermuda Run. Uh, so I was in King one time and I haven't, I didn't have my sign on my van at this particular time. And um, I, I was visited by two sheriffs. Uh, wow. yeah. And uh, they said that it was some break-ins in this particular neighborhood going on. And um and they needed my my license and my registration. And this was years ago. I mean, this had to be, I've had that sign at least eight, nine years. This may have been 10 years ago. But nevertheless, they came out and I had, I was working on a minivan. I had the seats out of the minivan. 
And um, and so I continued to work initially while they were, you know, processing my information. And they told me that I need to sit down and be still. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. Wow. So, so experiencing that, and like I said, that wasn't in Winston, but just experiencing that period, um, you know, it, it was an eye opener. Um, and, and like I said, I didn't have the sign on my van, but you could clearly see that I was, I was working on a car. Or, of course. Um, so, but I just believe some of one of the, uh, residents in the neighborhood may have called. Sure. And, uh, I, I'd never been in that neighborhood before. But in the back of my mind, do you wonder if you were white, uh, would that have happened? Would you have been called? Yeah, of course. Yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah. yeah. So you yeah. think about that. Yeah. Uh, do I ever feel unsafe? Not really. Um, most of my clients are good people. Um, that's That's been a blessing. Have I encountered racism in my business? Yes, I have. Uh, I was told, quote, one day, uh, you're the hardest working black man that I've ever seen. Wow. And um, it's not my goal to be the. I want to be an example for 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 black people. And I want to be an example to white America that black people, you know, can do good business, that we can be trusted, you know, et cetera. But it's my goal to be the hardest working man, period. Yes, of course. So uh, so little stuff like that. Um, And of course, these types of conversations come up with people. Uh, I've been told that black people should. Um, by by a white guy, he he said black people should be glad that slavery happened because if it didn't, you you would still be in Africa. Oh God! I mean, God! I mean, so, oh, and and you can't when, fix stupid at some yeah, point. I mean, so, you just can't so stupid. when that happens, I mean, Sorry. as a Jeez. business person, I can't really go where I want to go in that moment, which is to you know maybe say a few explicits, <laughs> and uh and you know it just teaches you. And, and these are people, you know, they don't know that it's offensive or that, you know, but at the same time, if I were to say something that comes to my mind that I just want to, you know, it would be either disrespectful or I'm the angry black man or, you know what I'm saying? It, it would just I be do. looked at totally different. I do. So, so, yeah, a little stuff like that. But, you know, you just keep going and and you just deal with it. Yeah. Have there been times where you're – your mother was fearful for your safety and fearful for you as a, as a black youngster on the streets, or do you see that, oh. you know, in your community where women are, are, are fearful for their, their kids? Yeah. And growing up, like I couldn't really say I had those thoughts like when from 10 to 15 or 16, maybe once I started driving you know, it was the, if you ever get pulled, you need to be respectful. You know, we had those kinds of talks, but I think it's, it's gotten worse. Um, mm. may, like since, since I've been an adult, as far as with the young kids being killed and, and stuff like that. And it started maybe around the Trayvon Martin situation. And, yes. um, and it, it seemed to escalate from there. And uh, the statistics, I, I don't want to quote statistics, but if you would just Google how many incidents that it's been where, where black people have been killed by police uh, since mm-hmm. 2000, I, it's, it's, it would be, it, it's an alarming rate, you know? So, sure so um, but, but yeah, I, I grew up, like I said, in the Eastern part of the city um, where most 
white folk don't go. Um, and it's, it's given a bad rap, but like I said, I'm a, I'm a product of that environment. My mother still lives over there. I'm over there quite regular. Um, and it is different. Um, but it's, it's because of socioeconomics, um, you know, and, and that's what it boils down to. Uh, so, and, and when you don't get exposure and you don't get opportunity, it is, it's basically like they say, a glass ceiling or a glass perimeter. I, I know people from East Winston that if I take them to Styles Ferry Road, they would be lost. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? And that's only like yeah. 12 miles uh-huh. from the inner city. It's ridiculous. Uh-huh. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Uh-huh. So, um, so I've been very fortunate and very blessed to, um, to get the exposure and the opportunity. And I've gotten education just through my business just by the people that I've been able to meet and to uh, observe. And it's been great. Are there any other personal stories that you can think of where you feel, whether it's prejudice or racism, you've already, you've already mentioned quite a few. Is there anything else that, that you want to share? I mean, it, it's just hard on jobs for African-Americans. Um, and, and it's, we don't want pity. We don't want, you know, we just want it to, to be understood and, and it to be acknowledged. Um, <laughs> it's just, just very hard, you know, to maintain a job. Sometimes the, the way that management, uh, your supervisors do things, they do things to, to, you know, make it easier for what it seems you know, and I, I'm not, I don't like to play the race card, um, and believe it or not, I'm kind of getting emotional just thinking about it, but uh, it's just a lot of opportunities are created from the inside for people that look the same. Okay. And, um, it's people that are very capable that may be from different cultures and not even black, maybe Hispanic, maybe Asian that could uh-huh. do just as good or better. And um, and I see from across the board, just I know that for me to have a business and for me to have a job that I have to perform at a very high level. And mm. that in itself um, is a lot of weight. Yes. Uh-huh. For anybody to deal with. Mm-hmm. And it, um, it gets stressful. And yeah. Um, that's that's out of anything that I feel like that's where black people and African Americans won't want people to know about us. Like mm-hmm. we we just want the same things. We want want to make a good living, provide for our families, and leave a legacy. Yeah. And that's what it's all yeah. about. I don't I um <laughs> I uh I I don't like that that weight, you know the, um, the the need to always have to, you know, over you know, perform um, at you know the absolute top because you feel this pressure. That just that's absolutely exhausting. It's exhausting a life a life of that. Um, is there, Larry? You're wonderful. Thank you <laughs> for all this. Um, is there anything else you? you would want my most of my listeners i would say are probably white women um 
Is there anything else you would like us to know about uh, being a black man in in Winston-Salem? I'm not asking you to speak for all black men in Winston-Salem or all black men, but how how how, how it feels feels to you. Um, to me, it's different because, like I said, I have a business. I have a job. People look at me different. And I, I mean, I, I, I say that I still experience the bad things that that other people that look like me don't. But a lot of times I may get a pass just because I know certain people or, you know, I've been doing my business 20 years. So, you know, people have gotten comfortable with me. Um. But if I wasn't who I was, my life would be totally different. Um, so the average black man, he's just like Larry. He just hasn't had, like I said, the opportunities. Or he may haven't had the strength to keep going or to endure all that it takes to get to where I am. So and I'm not, I'm not it, I'm not any better. Uh, than than any other black man is just I had examples. I have a relationship with God. I I believe in faith. So all of that collectively keeps me going. But for the man, the black man that doesn't have that, the black man that grew up without a father raised by his grandmother, this home welfare, he never had a chance. So when you see him just don't always be fearful or that that he's going to do something. And like I said, he just never had a chance. He, he's really, you know, probably just trying to figure out his day or trying to make it through to tomorrow. I mean, but a lot of white women sometimes, you know, I've, I've seen the, the locked door thing and, you know, and it is a lot of African-American guys out here that, that do, you know, things that are unlawful and, and, and criminal things, but most of them are really just trying to, to be good guys. And, and those things, you know, they hurt when we see it or, or when you're trailed in a store or whatever, or you get bad service at a restaurant, you know, it, it, it's a lot. And yeah, yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, like I said, he's just trying to provide whether he ha- he has kids or whether he's a single man, he's just trying to find his way through life. And at the end of the day, that's, that's most of all. And from the black men, I know it, like I said, I could go to East Winston right now and take you to that corner where it's five or six guys out there, maybe drinking beer and smoking Newports, but it's safe. They they won't bother you. <laughs> you know what I mean? They just, that's their life. That's their situation. And that's uh-huh. where their opportunity has landed them. A lot of them don't feel like they can go out here and start up a business. Um, uh-huh. And a lot of them don't have the work ethic because they never seen anybody work for nothing. So, uh-huh. like I said, I, I'm, I am who I am because I saw my grandfather. I saw um, my uncle. 
my grandfather's son, <clears throat> he did very well in life. I saw other black men in my community, Mr. Westbrook. Um, he just recently passed. Um, J.R. Wright owns a big landscaping business. So I could go on and on uh, with people that I've met that have kind of mentored me. But like I said, if I didn't have a business, I wouldn't have never met those people. So I can't take credit for everything and, and who I am. It, it's, it's been a process and, um, and I've really been blessed. Like I said, with, with the clients that I have and the opportunity is, it, it, it's, it's just been some time overwhelming, but it's the only way I can describe it is blessing everybody from where I'm from from where I'm from, don't, don't get those opportunities. And, and that's what needs to be understood. Like, and a lot of people don't want us to focus on slavery, but life is like running a marathon. And, um, and it's, it's, it, it's not good, but life is very competitive. So as a black person, when you learn to learn about life, and you realize that your ancestors were enslaved for hundreds of years. And then while your ancestors was enslaved, they couldn't accumulate anything. <laughs> and not only were you enslaved, you were not educated. So you come out of slavery and then you're still confined in a way where you don't have the opportunity for, for education, for 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 things, you know, for sports, for for oh. music lessons, for any of those things, you, you know, Everything. and then you get grown and you realize, I mean, it's not a, an escape route, but it's because of slavery. I mean, people out here, I know several white people with hundreds and hundreds of acres of land. And, I, you know, and it's not, but it's just a fact, like, most of that land was acquired back then when it was cheap. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I'm not. Yeah. And once I learned all of that, for me, the only way, and I'll never catch up, but the only way for me to teach and be an example wasn't in a classroom. It was through having a business. Mm -hmm. And um, and once I realized all that, it was like, wow, you know, that's and, and we we not that we want to focus on. 400 years ago, but it has a lot to do with where. It's absolutely important. Yeah, it's you know? absolutely important. Yes, it, it is. It is not. It is the story continues. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a, part of this. It's part of the story. Yeah. And I never really understood that until I was an adult, you know, and that's sad, you know, and you go to school and that's not taught. And because, it's you, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, <laughs> it's taught as though it was this hundreds of years ago, and that's way over. Yeah, yeah and right. um, so that's the sad part. But we just want all that to be understood. And so when you see that guy that's on the street and he's a mess, just collectively think all about about all of that. What I just said, and maybe that's why he's in the position that he's in. Larry, I mean, I I can't even. Um... You know, it's one thing to watch, um, you know, hear people on the news and on screens of, of you know, 
black leaders and say thanks, but to, you know, to hear um, your, you know, you really speak from the heart and I get to watch your face as you do it. I can't, I can't tell you how impactful it is for me. So thank you so much for, for being with me today. Oh, absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity. And um, I just got to take a chance to thank you publicly for what you and uh, Jonathan have been to me in your community, a voice um, for my small business. Uh, I don't take that lightly and I'm truly grateful for it. Guys, I told myself I was not going to cry or get emotional as the last thing this is about is me. Um, but to watch his face and hear his voice and there were tears streaming down his face. I, I could not help myself. And it was him talking about not himself, but other African-American men that, that don't have the advantages that he has right now. And um, I, I just couldn't help myself. He just told me that if he's going to be crying in a podcast and I'm going to be crying and I couldn't edit this out. So there we are. I think his heart just spoke to us. I just thank you so much for being here. Thank you for joining me. Um, thank you for sharing this podcast and supporting me through it. And as always, thanks to Russell Kelly for sound and music production. And I really look forward to your joining me next time. Mm -hmm.